Happy Filipino American History Month to all. This is Mindy Ofiana, your host of Rise Up, Real Issues and Stories of Every One of Us podcast. Joining us today on Rise Up is Ren Kapukaw Jr. He's a pediatric nurse at Virginia Commonwealth University Health and a PhD candidate at the University of Virginia studying nursing, digital humanities, and American studies. He's a nurse historian affiliated with the Yorn Center for Nursing Historical Inquiry. His research examines Filipino nurses' specialized realization and subjectivities in American nursing history since the early 20th century. He uses public history to reach broader audiences and advocates for racial equity on behalf of nursing, Asian, and Asian American communities leading to previous collaborations with Virginia Humanities and Vox. So how are you, Ren? How are you? I'm good, Mindy. Thank I'm you for, for having me on here today. Today, Absolutely. We are very honored that you are here. So how was your week? Before <laughs> we actually go to the formal questions. <laughs> oh, man. My week was, was pretty rough uh, this past week. Uh, I was driving back and forth all across Virginia, not just for research. Well, some of it was for research. Some of it was for teaching at, at UVA. Some of it was to go to a wedding in Northern Virginia. So just a lot of driving and then working in Richmond at, at, at my job. So it was just busy because I, I hate driving, actually. So oh. I'm just tired <laughs> and I'm trying to decompress myself and get back to work and, you know, get back on, like, being healthy and doing my exercises. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot to juggle. <laughs> <laughs> so these long drives across Virginia, well, I know that there's beautiful trees there up in Virginia and with this change of the season, how is that going up oh, there? Oh, yeah, like uh, fall, I think is like, I think that's why what I love the most about the East Coast, especially specifically about Virginia, is that when it changes to fall, I think it's the prettiest season here because you don't get that right. like out West. I do want to move out West eventually, but you don't really get that feeling. Oh. And I like wearing sweaters, you know, and like having more diverse clothes. So that's why I, I love Virginia. Yeah, so you're it's right. Nice. I'm in Southern California, so you're absolutely right. I don't <laughs> see those four seasons. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You may have to link up with Mindy when you yes. decide to move yes. to the yes, West. For sure, for yeah. sure. Yes. Yeah. So um, you're a nurse and a PhD candidate. So what's the inspiration to going into the field of nursing? Right. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a long story. It, it, it but it, it all begins with uh, I guess sort of my cultural dissonance with the Filipino Filipino culture actually, because um, okay. to me growing up as a second generation Filipino American or second generation immigrant, mm -hmm. um, my values or what I was taught you know in the outside world outside of the home it clashes with the Filipino values that are being taught at home so a lot of times uh, um, when I'm like at school a lot of my report cards said he's so quiet because you know I was just very obedient and my parents were actually very very strict <laughs> but um so you know like I just associated you know Philippine the Filipino culture with you know some things that I, I, I didn't like and you know since nursing was very prevalent because I knew growing up my mom's mm -hmm. been a nurse, or was a nurse. She was a nurse for 40 years, and then she retired when I graduated from nursing school. But um, uh -huh. for her, you know, uh, I knew, I guess, from a long time um, through her that nursing was kind of one of those things that was ingrained in Filipino culture. Um, it was like all I all I knew what like from terms of the knowledge that was passed on to me from my family was that you know, food, Catholicism, and nursing. Those were the base, like, like the tenements, <laughs> the, the tenants of, of Filipino culture. Because it's interesting, you know, that from a lot of the other second, gener uh, second generation um, uh, migrants like me, um, not uh -huh. a lot of us know the culture very well. And almost only like mm -hmm. uh, maybe one or two out of like the over, you know, hundreds of Filipinos that I know, Filipino Americans I know can speak the language. So it's interesting to see, you know, it's, there seems like there's a, there's a, whether it's, uh, I feel like it's um, subconscious or not, but we're mm -hmm. kind of holding back our culture in some ways to, in, in terms of an assimilation, um, to kind of like go, to kind of like fit into the mold that was kind of brought onto us by um, a long history of colonialism. But um, mm -hmm. moving forward, uh, after you know trying to figure out, I guess like my lost identity, really trying to understand myself. Um, after I majored in history, because I was, you know, very rebellious in, in, in a way, that was me rebelling against 
um, my parents in terms of uh, majoring history because, you know, there's a lot of jobs in history at, at a bachelor's level. Um, but eventually, I, I think with more um, introspection for me, uh, I learned more that um, there were certain traits like that I had, but also that my mom, you know, helped cultivate through either nursing, but also uh, Filipino culture was my sense of empathy, my sense of compassion. And I really liked taking care of people. I really enjoyed caring for other people. And so nursing seemed like the best uh, avenue to go to after uh, my uh, first degree. So I did a second degree into uh, nursing program. So it was a master's program. And then from there, I went straight into my PhD. So I guess that's a long story short, um, kind of, there's a lot of things were happening in my life that kind of just pushed me into the direction of nursing. Did I want to be a nurse initially? No, but uh, it kind of just works out and life works out in strange ways. Isn't that amazing? Because I too was forced to become a nurse. But anyway, other than nursing and doing your PhD and all this, what's your hobby? What do you do outside of your work, your PhD uh, responsibilities, um, other than oh, what we just heard? Oh, man, I get that question a lot. And the sad part about that question <laughs> is that whenever someone asks me, like, my research or, like, my hobby is my, re my oh, research. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, it, it, I know, like, to, to me, I enjoy what I, I got. Because I feel like if, if for you to pursue, like, uh, a PhD, like, you to like, you know, write hundreds of pages of, of one of this, like, you know, very niche topic, you have to really enjoy it. <laughs> if you don't, it's going to be, you know, like a terrible experience. But I mean, other than doing that, I like, I, I do enjoy running and writing poetry. And wow. I do a lot of artsy projects with photography and um, um, digital art. But then my most recent hobby has been take I bought a puppy this this past um this oh. early summer and it was during my comprehensive exam for my PhD like um like it was during it because I have so during that time I had it was a whole week where I had to write 30 pages in one week uh to like basically just throw bomb like vomit all the knowledge I knew about my subject and then my puppy came on day five and then so raising him has been hard but it, it was just funny though during that experience too on day three of that exam a swarm of flying ants invaded my apartment at three in the morning. Oh, and like, I, I, then I learned that these ants, they come and they try to find an indoor place when they're trying to mate. So, oh, and these ants oh. aren't like flies. Like you try to like, you know, wave your hand at them. They don't move. So it, <laughs> it, it was like so hard getting rid of them. But yeah, my hobby like literally has been training my dog oh, and wow. yeah. Oh, best friend. Dogs is, are best is, friends. That is neat. I know. So I want to move in into our uh, main topic for today. And um, as, as you have said in, in your previous, uh, uh, you know, uh, blogs and, and writing, uh, Filipinos make up the largest group of internationally educated nurses practicing in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Now, Ren, you have uh, your studies. You focus on the history of Filipino nurses and their migration in the United States. Now, what inspired you to focus on this area of research? I think what inspired me to focus on this area in particular, uh, it's, I think it's kind of funny that I did focus on it because for a long time, I didn't really want to do anything, anything <laughs> with a Filipino culture. But for me to understand myself better and my own identity, it made sense. So like uh, going through nursing school and trying to like, learn about like nursing in a way going through it was I feel like learning about my culture in a way not directly but in a way but then I also felt like I needed to learn more so not just this professional identity but really my cultural I identity so why not combine the two uh, for me and try to also understand like with all this cultural dissonance that I had with my mom too and my dad as well like just my family in general and other Filipino um, of the older generation um, how can I try to understand their perspective better to un understand my own? Um, so I think that's what really led me down this path of, of this research project or my dissertation research was to really just mm -hmm. to understand and to just to really grow from this. I think it's, it's just really just a growing experience for me. Mm, wow. So as you know, I was a CNO and uh, I, I, my role mostly was, um, introduction of the research into practice, right? So most of the time, my interactions are mostly with the researcher or whoever is the principal investigator. 
So you are the researcher. You must be talking to many people. How is that experience? <laughs> Honestly, it, it's it's an interesting experience because for me, as a nurse historian, we're very rare. Uh, there's only two schools in the U.S. or three in the world, That's actually, right. too, that that were there's a nurse um, were a nursing history curric or a nursing history focus is taught at the PhD level. Um, so yeah, it's one of, we're a rare bunch and, you know, a lot of times people question or they're, they're, they're confused. Like, why are you studying history and, and you're getting a PhD in nursing? Like, you know, cause mostly when we think of a PhD in nursing, it's more very, uh, heavily science driven or, or clinically driven versus me. I'm much more humanities policy, um, driven, but so it's been interesting being able to, in this, um, as a nurse historian, I've been able to bridge the worlds of science and humanities, but also with my ability to advocate on behalf of nurses and the and the health of the uh, health of the public. I've been able to also like go in in there's so many different directions um, and talking to so many different people from nonprofits like with Virginia Humanities um, mm-hmm. to expand you know the history of 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 nurse of these nurses, but also to um, being able to talk, you know, talk the talk of clinical knowledge with nurses at uh, at um, other uh, like hospitals and such. So it's interesting, like just how nurses are able to uh, sort of not trans translate, you know, clinical knowledge from make it simpler for the patient to understand. You know, it's mm-hmm. interesting. Like I'm able to, I guess, kind of simplify from different worlds um, to make it easier to communicate to other to a broader audience. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's been really helpful through my experience as a nurse historian in terms of communication has been really, really key. And I've met so many interesting people along the way from so many different fields. Like I always want to collaborate with everyone, but you know, there's only so much time and so many things you can do. Mm-hmm. So in your studies um, and, and being a nurse historian, uh, focus on the uh, Philippine migrants, uh, what would you say um, is the impact of the history of Philippine migrants to the United States or to the Filipino American nurses now that you have studied? Yeah, uh, so that's like there's like a twofold answer or response to that question where uh, in an abstract sense or practical sense, uh, most people, I feel, nursing in general, not just Filipino nurses, we don't realize that how history is shaping shaping our actions. And so I thought it was kind of refreshing or I was, I was actually, or I was very uh, humbled when a student from the University of Santo Tomas, you know, in the Philippines, they emailed me asking for, are you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I was like, ask, yeah. It's one of the, the students there emailed me, you know, asking for um, my article from the online um, journal of issues and nursing because they couldn't right. get like um, get access to it. Say yes. And they were saying, I know, yeah, yeah I sent it to them right away. No, oh, no questions cool. asked. Anything to support, Sorry, you know, Manny. like this <laughs> dissemination. But um, yeah, like it was refreshing to 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 have him reach out. But at the same time, you know, it's a realization that most of us don't realize our like our history, uh, especially like um with Philippine nursing, it's when I talked to a lot of these nurses, they know like immediately what's happening, you know, but like uh-huh. the long, t- like the long-term history, it's not taught in, it's it's not taught well. Like it's not, um, it's not really taught well here in the U.S. either. Uh-huh. Like all we know is, you know, Florence Nightingale. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are, that were great, but also bad associated with her. So mm-hmm. it's important to, I guess, be aware of this history that's being co- um being more cognizant about it and how it shapes, you know, our actions, but also, like the mm-hmm. policy that's that's being made, mm-hmm. but um, but in terms of how this history actually shapes us, um, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a very complicated where, like under U.S. colonialism, you know, we see this this um nursing nursing's coming in and it's extending this imperialistic agenda. Like we don't, the politics of care is so uh, very uh, interesting where you know because care we essential we 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 kind of associate it with um kind of sometimes like with angels and like heroism and such that like we kind mm-hmm. of don't there's no room to critique it even though we, we need to be able to critique uh this politics of care so with nursing moving into the philippines you know they're spreading these um 
these Victorian values that are like very rigidly structuring how women should act, not in, in the Western world. So those values are also being placed onto um, Filipinos in the Philippines, but at the same time, it's mm-hmm. being used as a tool to kind of, uh, to, to kind of subjugate them in a way to like you need like nursing is helping civilize them because they need nursing to help civilize. so it's one of the mechanisms of colonialism to help civilize the filipino people and so we see this trend ongoing in a ways and it's even to the present where um i feel like we're a lot of times we're just unaware of what's happening but mm-hmm. from doing some of my oral histories and reading some of my literature I wouldn't say like not half, like, you know, a, a good amount of, of these Filipino nurses, you know, and that they, they never wanted to be nurses, you know, but they don't have it. Like, there's not really a, in a ways, you, it's not a free, there's, you can question the freedom of choice in choosing the nursing profession, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of questions like you have to ask, like, if circumstances wise, if the quality of life was, better in the Philippines, um, if it was, you know, as it was in the U.S., would nurses be coming here to the U.S.? Um, but then, you know, mm-hmm. that you have to address and unpack so many issues that are also in the Philippines to try to understand that situation. But it's very complicated and trying to untangle it's so difficult. And um, since, you know, the Philippines, obviously, their their economy runs on exportation of, of human labor, it, it's difficult to try to to fix that. And so, now we're seeing, you know, from the early 20th century, it was kind of uh, nurses were coming here um, on their own volition. And then it changes over time um, as the shortage of nursing, which the shortage of nursing basically happened um, in the U.S. Uh, basically once the industrialization of the hospital occurred in the early, uh, late, late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm-hmm. So by the time of mid-century, it gets worse with the Hilburton Act. Thousands of hospitals are built across the country. Mm-hmm. And there's such a huge shortage of nurses already in general. That, you know, they're out there also recruiting nurses has served as one tool to ameli- ameliorate the shortage. And so it's just been ongoing since then. And like with the countries, uh, with because we see with these migrations nowadays that if it was a fair migration, then we'd see nurses going from countries from the global south to the global north and global north to the global mm-hmm. south it's one direction mm-hmm. so there's clearly um a neo-colonial um issue that's happening right now mm-hmm. and so that's i think we have to keep in mind that as well um in terms of uh how do we view this larger this larger picture this larger history that's shaping our movements without us you know really knowing the next question I have for you, Ron, is how was this history affecting the contemporary Filipino-American nurses? Yeah, so uh, in terms of con- affecting the contemporary Filipino nurses, as I think as, as I said earlier, it's a, in terms of a freedom of choice, of choosing, cho- literally choosing if this is actually the profession they wanted you because, you know, you don't want a nurse to be a nurse if if they really don't want to be it you know you can be smart and become a nurse but there are bad nurses that are out there but um also in terms of quality of life yes uh nursing does address in terms of improving quality of life of people who do take it at the same time but uh it's 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 weird how when filipino nurses do come to the u.s i've noticed in my research too some of them also choose to not you know further they don't choose to become licensed. They stay like, you know, they work as an LPN or they work as a, as a CNA because it's, it's, they're still getting paid more and it's still better quality of life. And especially now with the current generation where a lot of times it's chain migration. So they're moving where they have friends and family. So they have the support system that they need versus um, from what I'm seeing from earlier generations where uh, it's, there's like nothing around them. So they have to, they have, they're, they forcibly kind of have to, to survive. You need to be able to perform at, a, at, 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 or um, peak level. Um, and in terms of uh, also just this, I see one of the underlying issues of that moving abroad too, probably is the structural racism that's that permeates uh, nursing in general. Um, it's not a topic we address very often, but it's neither is the topic of the relationship between nursing and colonialism. They're very much tied together where, um, you know, uh, professional nursing, you know, was 
basically invented, uh, or not invented, but it was in, brought brought to light by uh, Florence Nightingale, you know, during the Crimean War, during like the mid, mid um, 19th century. And so, you know, with that uh, period going on, it's also this, this same, it's following the same period, I guess, where uh, colonialism, or at least U.S. colonialism, is also slowly emerging, and so with with both periods kind of interlapping, we see them intermingling in ways where, I guess, we don't normally associate. Like I said earlier, uh, politics of care. We don't want to critique nursing in a way because it's, or nursing or medicine, because apparently we're doing always good things, but. As we've seen, you know, like with the, Tus the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, other uh, such, um, there we do in Nazi experience, there's like so many atrocities that we do in healthcare, but we don't always acknowledge them. And so I think with, with this, um, there's a lot of things to unpack. There's a lot of issues that are happening. Like from what I learned also um, from talking to um, President Mary Joy, you know, uh, there is still like a human trafficking going on of nurses and such, um, and it's funny because like a lot of like nurses don't even understand that it's actually happening. Like people think it's just happening to uh, domestic workers, but no, it's happening also to nurses as well. And a lot of times we why like why like you don't see these kind of news in the headlines or as much. I feel or it's not as as brought um, to the forefront, but it's something that I think needs to be addressed in terms of like this larger picture of the politics of care. Mm -hmm. Well, Ren, I, 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 I am aware of, you know, sometimes in the news it comes up, Corinne, you have newly immigrated nurses, and uh, then depending on what's going on, but what we would hear is that they are either sued or penalized for breaching their contract. Um, so, but then some of them don't speak up. So how does this come into play, this this uh, long history you said of colonialism and and this politics of care that's going on, how does how is this all interrelated? I, I know some nurses are afraid to speak up, and I think it's it's a long I think that's a long deep seated uh, history where um, when these nurses you know first came here like during the early uh, when they were either coming here to further education or actually like, you know, moving abroad without the intentions of, uh, without like the U.S. did not intend them to move abroad in certain early 20th century. Because, you know, Philippines, uh, Filipinos were U.S. nationals at the time, so they could easily just move to the U.S. if they want to relocate. But, um, but um, to try to blend in, you know, you kind of have to, in a ways, be white passing to be kind of subservient to kind of put yourself in this role to not make yourself stick out so it's interesting to note that like uh, i'm going i'll talk a little bit about my research where some of these uh early uh a lot of these early nurses like in the 1920s uh 30s 10 1910s like that are here you know they're working um and studying alongside white nurses uh versus uh you know there's segregation you know jim crow going on and you know black nurses um are or even black women are kind of, there's less opportunities to become nurses uh, for black women. And so, and they're not even working alongside or starting, you know, with, with white nurses or white women, but Filipinos are able to. And so I was looking at um, New York, for example, during the 1920s, why um, there was a choice, you know, there in New York, there was a black um, hospital and also a white hospital. And yet, um, you know, you would think that these Filipinos in the 1920s would be working at a black hospital. No, they're working at a white hospital. Mm -hmm. And they're also, during this time, they're also being recruited by white hospitals, which is, you know, very, uh, not a well-known history. But you see, like, they're being used by this larger um, racialized system. And to, it's unfortunate that um, they're able to succeed in some ways, but it, at the, at, at the cost of like maintaining this color line, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, but also moving into the, uh, moving into the mid-century, you know, when they're coming through the exchange visitor program through the um, H1 visa program of 1965, then you're seeing, you know, if they don't act like they should be doing, they can easily get removed, you know, sent back. Uh, so if you want to behave, like if you want to stay in the US, then you have to behave, you have to be normal. And so there's this history of being normal. And that starts all the way from colonialism, where nursing has input values of what being normal is. And I find that very fascinating, where like we see uh, 
a lot of times with Filipino um, nursing history, at least, or or American history, even with that too, um, while nursing is very feminine, uh, a feminine history, um, the his early history of Filipino America is very masculine. Uh, we're looking at the laborers on cannery uh, in um, salmon canneries and uh, plantation work, but there's also Filipino men in nursing here at this time too, and they're subjugated to the higher the the hierarchy of the patriarchy of society, but also the hierarchy of nursing, where um, they're uh, what's it called? They're also put under. They can't practice to the full extent of their nursing degrees from the Philippines because um, of the of this feminized hierarchy. But it's interesting in a ways where uh, uh, the way that these these the Filipino men in nursing have like. They're kind of erased from history, but they're actually there in secret. And I don't know, I feel like I'm going off topic a little bit, but it, it's actually very fascinating to see how, I guess in a way, trying to go back to, to what I'm trying to say is, um, I think part of the erasure of Filipino men in nursing, because they were very prevalent early on, was to try to normalize the nursing profession as a feminine, a gendered profession. And so they're kind of written out of history but they're actually there's not many but they're actually like are they're here they were here in the u.s like one of the um next uh one of the archives i plan on visiting soon as i have a fellowship at at the university of pennsylvania and so there was actually a filipino male student in one of the first it was i think it might have been the first but one of the only uh one of the few schools of nursing for men in the 1920s so there's like there's a there's a history of them it's just they're kind of obscured because it's not, it's a kind of a queer history. It's not considered what normal is to society. So So how does this history of colonialism affect the uh, uh, growth of the nurses as far as professional profession in itself, uh, excuse me, and also in leadership, you know, um, based mm -hmm. from a staff nurse all the way down if you want to become a CEO. Mm -hmm. So I think in terms of like going back to a little bit what I said um, in this history of colonialism, it's it, it the the structural racism kind of sets it in a way where there's more even for most people of color in general it, there there is a what's the word a glass ceiling in a way it's not as it's obviously it's not as prevalent as it used to be it's it's changing over time but I think in a way there's still there's still it's still there. Um, I was talking to uh, another PhD student actually that reached out to me to ask about questions about my work, but he's doing research on um, a lot of my internationally educated nurses in Canada. And, you know, it's interesting to note when like Filipino nurses are coming to Canada, um, you know, when obviously the U.S. and Canada, they, they choose to say if your courses are good enough to to. Um, to yeah. for you to move on, like for you to be a nurse and so in Canada I found out in their system um, if it's not good enough you can either you know take the classes and you know be a nurse's aide in the meantime maybe or you can choose to get licensed as an LPN mm. and you see the easier choice obviously would be to be an LPN so you can make more money right away and so a lot of times with these nurses they're going to forget about trying like they're going to get um habituated into this to this like unless they have an urge to keep moving forward then they're going to stay as lpns and then you see this structure uh, this structural racism where um nurses are going to be mostly white then you'll see a lot of uh, filipinos who are lpns and like so it's you see kind of like it's just ongoing of of these like smaller like it's kind of just build up just like how i was saying a little bit earlier how um um with uh, like it's 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 similar in a way ish to to the history of black mm -hmm. nurses in in the U.S. where where um there were uh, very limited uh, like like I'm just gonna give an example here um in Virginia in Charlottesville where there was a school of nursing this was 1928 it was built they didn't have its first uh black nurse graduate until 1971 so you can oh, imagine wow. like. They had that school, like they had a school of nursing, and you know, for at least at least that was the bachelor's part of it for the 1928. But thing is, they also made a separate school um, at a uh, at a black high school, Burley High School, to to it would train um, black women in uh, as LPNs. So you see, 
um, there's there 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 are choices that are being made to how to keep others others down, and so the the history of colonialism it just kind of in our in the back of our minds like when, when I was talking earlier too about this this desire to assimilate it we just see it prevail over and over again like it's very rare I guess mm-hmm. at least around me um yes I feel like Filipinos are Filipino nurses or like like my mom and her friends they're leaders on their unit but they don't they have no desire to uh move beyond like leadership like on their unit like as their charge great charge nurse mm-hmm. you know n- nurse manager but they don't want to move beyond that and there's there's i mean yes some of a lot of it is in you know in individual choice but at the same time it's it's also like this ingrained colonial mentality you know trying to are are we able to move move forward like are we you know will that will that um will be be taken down a notch if if we try to go out of out of line Ren, I do have to share your story. You know, your story about uh, the system in Canada has reminded me of uh, the story that uh, one of my um, schoolmates from University of the Philippines College of Nursing had to go through. And what she did was not to accept the system. So she migrated to Canada. Uh, I believe it was in the province of Manitoba. And she was told, you know, you cannot be licensed as an RN. And she said, and how come not, right? Mm -hmm. And so she says, I have the education. I have the degree, a Bachelor of Science in Nursing degree. And, you know, I believe that, you know, I I can be a nurse here also in in Canada because she was a nurse in the Philippines. So what she did was uh, work with the uh, Board of Nursing in that province and... um, they were actually able to work it through so that nurses who graduated from the Philippines uh, from a nursing degree could be licensed as an RN in that province. Now, I don't know the the other provinces, but I do know of that particular one. So as a follow-up question to our topic, um, what did you learn then about structural racism and and xenophobia if you may in in your research studies focusing on filipino american nurses here yeah so first that's amazing that your friend was able to get get through the system because it it can be tough and um honestly i think it's it's unfortunate that um you know the model that was introduced into the philippines way back when you know it's a western model it's 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 the american model just you know little you know changed to be uh to to fit the needs of the of the philippines but in essence there's not that much that's different to be honest so like to me sometimes the judgments that are being made um to the mm-hmm. to about whether these nurses credentials are good or not sometimes i feel like it's uh, mm-hmm. it's not always a uh, you know not always uh there but um in terms mm-hmm. of the structural racism and xenophobia that i learned it's very I find it very uh, spatialized um, in terms of it, it differs by place and by time, of course, but also the racialization process, like I was sort of talking earlier, uh, it it's very intertwined with gender and sexuality where we see nursing, you know, it's very controlling of, 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 of how, how women should act, how, how, and how it should like ostracize that kind of men, but also control how women should behave, how, men should behave or how men are can be abnormal if they are in nursing so this racialization process um it's it's, it differs across the 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 place that i look at so i specifically look at uh, seattle uh virginia that's more modern and then hawaii so we see in hawaii during the 19 um early 1910s i believe when they start i think 1908 1910 was the first time they started recruiting uh, cicadas uh, filipino um, mm. migrant labor laborers to sugar plantations so i was doing uh i was doing some um, digital mapping of early hawaii and you know almost every plantation had a hospital and so you know after the japanese uh uh were after the ban sort of on on importing japanese then you know filipinos came in kind of to took their place ish and so filipino nurses served as a sort of as a model for they serve filipino nurses they were able to or they were recruited to fill a niche to take care of like you know of 
the capital or the laborers, you know, you need these laborers to make sugar plantations or to harvest the sugar without them. So nurses were kind of fulfilling this need. And, you know, at that time, you know, there's mostly white nurses. Well, it still is mostly white nurses, but uh, you need these, you need these, you need these, um, these, these nurses to fulfill this niche labor. And so we see that and they're kind of, they're using Filipinos in ways like they're mediating Western and Eastern cultures in a way, because they're also taking care of the, it was a very diverse population that, that's, um, that, that's on Hawaii um, with so many different laborers, not just Filipino or Japanese. It was also Chinese, Russian, and um, Puerto Ricans. So we have that happening um, in the U.S. It's very economically driven. And oh, like I was saying earlier, white nurses, um, like trying to recruit white nurses, you know, to work in the sugar plantations with a mostly uh, diverse ethnic population, it, it, it might not always be easy. And then, you know, with the need for care, um, we're also seeing that with hospitals that were hospital or hospitals that you know had patients that from sugar plantations uh, they were or the convalescents that you know once they got better a lot of times hospitals would recruit them and i was doing some some of my research that i began um some of these like men were being trained as lpns like once they were healed up from tuberculosis like a, a sanatorium of tuberculosis so you're seeing like, how they're being used in a way to fulfill this labor niche and so going back to Seattle, like moving to the, to the mainland with these nurses, um, it's, it's funny, one of, one of my chapters, it follows this pair of Filipino nurses. They both graduated from University of Philippines, Manila, and they graduated in 1919. Um, then they both moved, well, one of them was Laddie. He's, he's a male nurse. He moved to Seattle first. Um, he wanted to be a physician, and uh, apparently a lot of men in nursing, not just Filipinos, they wanted to become. They used nursing as a stepping stone to uh, pursue a degree in medicine. And so that's what his goal was. And then Felicidad, the other nurse, she moved to New York in 1920, or she moved to Cleveland, Ohio first in 1926, so she was recruited by the hospital there. And so we're seeing ways where, with let me start with Felicidad, where she's in, she's in Cleveland, Ohio, and, you know, she's working alongside, I have so many um, pictures of her uh, at Cleveland City at Cleveland City Hospital. And, you know, she's mm-hmm. she's just there, you know, being happy and such and or trying to embracing the American lifestyle. Um, then she moves to New York, kind of same same thing. And we don't, it's weird, like you're not seeing the struggle that's happening in the background, which is, I think, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's also interesting to note, like she worked at a Jewish hospital in New York. So like in the 1929. And the U.S. Census categorized her and her friend. She dragged her other nursing friend along with her for this journey. Um, they were classified as white in the U.S. Census. So that was also oh, interesting wow. to note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we can see, like, we can view the hospital as a way as a uh, extension of, because when we view the hospital, like, saying earlier, with, like, how we view nursing, like, the hospital is also a very sanitized, very hygienic, very clean place mm-hmm. where, um, especially a white hospital, like we're like we see like with the rhetoric that's happening during this time where we're associating black with bad and you know, like white with all this holiness and goodness, and so like in a way of, like donning these Filipino nurses in you know white garbs, these starched outfits, and um, putting them through this like rigorous um, military militaristic like um, training in nursing, they're kind of undergoing this Americanized um, um, Americanized training and to basically kind of be sort of white passing in a way. Um, and then uh, eventually uh, she moves to Seattle and or like she reunites with Laddie and they get married um, in New York and then they move to Seattle and they have a family, which I think is great. But um, Laddie, he, during that time period from 1919 to, uh, not, um, from 1919 to 1944, I believe, he was trying very hard to finish his, or get, finish his prereqs for med school and then go into med school. And he finally got into med school in 1944, I believe, 1940s. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're not seeing, like I said, but the bigger picture, the struggle that's happening. He worked multiple. He worked as a as a lumberyard worker. He worked as an electrician, um, and then his his brother and sister came over to the U.S. too. And guess what? His sister also wanted to be a physician. So you know, you know, a lot of times Filipino culture, we always support our siblings, like especially the older sibling. So he puts his sister through medical school before he puts himself through. So he's supporting, you know, his family. He's supporting um, his sister, who was like one of the early early Filipino um, women physicians. And she's also a nurse, too, which is interesting, too. But um, so he finally gets into school, you know, at uh, Loyola, Chicago, I think, for medicine. 
and then he dies the next like within his first year of, of med school oh. because you know can you imagine all of the stress that's happening yeah. um in the background of just trying to survive just trying to make he, he's working as an orderly he can't work to the full extent of his degree because of this sexual mm. um this sexualized racialization but also um um what was i saying even if he did you know there's like larger questions asked too because even if he did um graduate from med school he couldn't even practice as a med, as, as a physician in the u.s anyways so they would have to ask like do we need to go back to the philippines because there's mm. with all of these um with medicine and like pharmacy and dentistry all these more masculine um, fields in healthcare, uh they would not allow people of it, it, or at least a lot of people of color to practice in these roles like i know talking to someone from from the Fonz organization how his dad was the first graduate of the pharmacy school at the University of Washington mm. once he graduated he had to work as a bottle cleaner afterwards this was like the 1930s oh. 40s something like that somewhere around that time period so it's like there's like so many barriers on the way and it makes you wonder um is the was the quality of life you know actually better here or not or what or was it better back home we we don't know like obviously it's 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 a personal choice but we're seeing with these stories these uh barriers to 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 succeed and then i guess let me just summarize like my virginia chapter where um i i um there's one of more one of the more poignant examples um with uh rsle marshall she she had, like she was one of the first she was one of the first oral histories i conducted um she was one of the founders of the philippine nurses association association of virginia mm-hmm. and her story always fascinates me of how she um uh, had to navigate the racism between um, moving north and then south across the eastern seaboard. So it was very more, bl- it was very passive in a way, uh, the racism in, in, in the north were very more uh, subtle comments that were very just looking, it made, it, it put you down. Like, as like I don't know, one of the things she would say, you know, um, one person told her was like, do you even know how to use utensils you know like some things like that and because and it's different in the north because obviously it's 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 more integrated but then you know when she moves to the south like she's working this is a 1963 so the year before you know civil rights act of 1964 but it doesn't really matter because hospitals don't desegregate really until um the passage of medicare because uh that's when if they want to receive government money then they have to desegregate. That's one of the stipulations of receiving Medicare funding. Yeah. But anyways, with with um with the South, she felt uncomfortable. Like you know, like you want to speak out sometimes against these um these these uh these racist acts, but like sometimes you just have to know your place. And so for her, she's talking about uh she was talking about how she worked with this one nurse, Agnes. She was a black nurse, mm-hmm. but then they locked. Like she was working like in the, like the basement floor of this hospital, like for the mm-hmm. OR. She would open it every morning, but then like she couldn't like. There's there's no way to help that situation. And then in the cafeteria dining room, there's separate cafeteria dining rooms. But from my, from what I'm learning um at this time period, uh, it's not just her experience. From other oral histories, oral histories I did. Um, they expected white or Filipino nurses sit at, in the white cafeterias, not the black cafeterias. So it was interesting to note like that um, we see um, Filipinos being kind of forced to choose a side. Um, and obviously you kind of have to choose the side or it, it's a smarter choice to choose the side where there's more, I guess, power and more ability to more room for mobility and more like to also keep you safe, I guess, in a way. Nice. But um that's the complicated and then but it's even more complicated when she goes outside the hospital because when she goes outside the hospital she's talking about how neither um black or white americans wanted them to use wanted her to use their bathroom so she was jokingly saying you know like when she, when she would go to the park she was jokingly saying i should just bring i have to bring my own potty chair to like use the bathroom when i'm at the park so it's like things like that like I, i'm learning a lot of a lot of filipinos kind of uh from from that generation um they're kind of making light of the situations to make it better um they're they're very tenacious. They're very, you know, just keep pushing forward. And I think that's one of the things that I took away from my research is that um, they work so hard um, and they got they went through so much. Like, I think there's a certain point where we have to, you know, push back. You know, like, mm-hmm. and you know, claim what what is fair, what's equal to everyone. 
And so I don't think back then it was possible. Like it's it's so difficult. Like mm-hmm. with how scattered Filipinos were during the mid, like the mid, like when they're first coming in, they're more scattered. Um, but now there's more of us, and I think and now like with with laws changing, like I feel as if there's more there's more leeway in for us to make a change in healthcare. I see. You know, um, uh, despite uh, the fact of the, um, for the lack of a better term, unfortunate experiences that um, Filipino American nurses experience, I mean, yeah, encountered, it's still a large volume of Filipino nurses or Philippine nurses continue to migrate to other countries for work. What are the implications of this? Yeah, I was reading, um, one of the books I was reading was, it's called, it was, it was similar in a way, it talked about domestic workers though, but from my interviews um, with with nurses that did, you know, it's go to um, other countries, it seems though, from what I'm understanding, a lot of times there there is a hierarchy of places where to go, um, like, some will go to Saudi Arabia first, and then you know you can't be a citizen there, so there it's it's we it's, it's a temporary place. They they know it's a temporary right. stop, and eventually they'll right. use that, and then the end goal almost always or usually is the U.S. Like there's other countries too, but like usually most time the end goal is the U.S. And so it's it's very complicated to try to detangle like by like in in the current um where we are now um racism and such is very tied together with the with capital with with the neoliberal economy of trying to um saying that race race racism or racist racism doesn't really exist because under you know capitalist uh values all that matters is that we have the equality to um for economic pursuits to be able to build ourselves up but that doesn't equate to the actual barriers that um, a lot of people of color go through or and even like po- even previously colonized places go through. So that's why we're seeing this global South to global North migration. It's, it's very one-sided and I don't know, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of issues to address, to unpack, um, especially with, uh, with, with like with the Philippines, like we're sending so many nurses out, but um I think there's a there's a there's a dire need to address the the quality of life and the health disparities in the Philippines. Like they're they're very vast. Like we do have enough nurses. It's just they're sending out. There's not enough positions in the Philippines, and so they're so they're all being sent out. And like with COVID happening, um, a lot of migration stops. So you can imagine there's a backlog of of nurses that are staying in the Philippines. And when I was reading this one book by Yasmin Ortica about, you know, the migration trap of nursing, where, um, especially like, because you have to guess, you know, um, it's supply and demand for nursing, uh, for, 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 for nursing labor. How many do you need to produce? Um, and how many think like the other countries will accept? And so like with COVID, for example, you can imagine now there's a backlog of nurses and the, the backlog keeps growing. And it's really sad when I hear that people or nurses have to pay hospitals to work for them to just get the experience to be recruited to go abroad. And so now we're seeing nursing in a way kind of it's 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 not what it it's what it's not what it was cut out to be anymore. It's when nursing schools used to pay people uh, students to to become nurses. Now it's kind of the opposite where now students are pay or nurses are paying hospitals to work for them. And that seems like a system that's somewhat, somewhat very broken, and uh, that's probably something that needs to be addressed. But also, I think I think a lot of us Filipinos, with um, with the with the, with the pandemic of COVID happening, like it's really sad when, like a lot of I feel the care is is, is centered around you know the metropolitan areas, uh, like hospitals and and the high tier care. Where like just in my from a personal experience, like my family, like we're from a small fishing town in Bolinao and Pangasinan. I was born here, but you know that's where my family's from. And so with COVID rampaging everywhere, like my parents, like they lost a lot of their neighbors. They lost like um, my dad lost his two brothers within within a week of each other. And you know it's it's just crazy like what's happening back back there. And like to for them to actually receive care, they have to drive five hours to Manila just to receive it. And there's, I, I think it's it's somewhat it's 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 problematic, and we need to. I mean, I can't 
I don't, I'm not trying to make judgments. That's not, that's not my role. It's just, mm-hmm. there's, there's interventions though that we need to do to, to make healthcare more equitable for everyone. And so that's where this colonialism kind of, or this colonial history plays in where it's kind of pushed us in a way, or at least the Philippines in a way to center around exportation. And instead of dealing with the, the massive health issues that are occurring within the Philippines. Cause so oh, one more thing. Uh, we're sorry. about to wrap. Oh, can I add one more thing? Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. There's, go ahead and, and there's just other like, pe- like other people that I've met, um, a lot of like dentists and physicians that are retraining themselves as nurses in the Philippines or here in the U.S., you know, that, that and to become nurses, they're like, changing professions to, to try to mm-hmm. like practice like in like the, eventually the goal is to become a nurse practitioner to try to practice in a way, you know, similar to how they did in the Philippines. But it's kind of crazy to think how nurse needs to become very commodified or very um, kind of tied together with this upper to, for this what better way of life when um, there's structural issues that we need to address instead of trying to like just, I don't know, find these other ways out, which is really, really unfortunate. So to wrap up, Ren, um, I would like to ask you, with the lessons learned in researching the Philippine nurse migrants in the United States, what would be your message to the Filipino nurses? I think um, one of my messages would be to always be thinking critically, uh, think critically outside of the box, like always think of what's the alternative, what could be uh, better, what could be different, what could make things uh, go more smoothly. Um, don't be afraid of challenging like these normative values because oftentimes, you know, what's normal to, to someone else, to main site, is not actually normal. It's just this idea that's been embedded in us for hundred for over a hundred years. Um, and I think just being more, I don't know, being more open to this knowledge, to this, to, to this knowledge and being more open to what, learning more about your history can bring to your own identity, but also to how you can better yourself, um, better the profession of nursing as well. Cause there's a lot of things that need to be untangled in nursing, but um, there, we think it's something that we all need to uh, think more about and uh, try to digest and see where we go moving forward. And this is all we have for this episode of Rise Up. I want to thank our guest, Ren Capuco Jr. and my co-host, Mani Ramos, our director and producer, Rodney Cahudo, Carol Robles, PNAA Chair of Communications and Marketing, our advisor, PNAAF President, Nancy Hoff, our executive producers, PNAA President, Dr. Mary Joy Garcia Dia, and PNAA Executive Director, Carmina Bautista. Join us every Wednesday here on Rise Up. Until then, keep on rising. See you next week. <laughs> this publication was made possible by Cooperative Agreement CDC RFA IP212106 from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Its contents are solely the responsibility of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of CDC HHS.